The Coach's Plan podcast is recorded on the traditional unceded territory of the Willis-DeWig and Mi'kmaq peoples. This territory is covered by the Treaties of Peace and Friendship, which these nations signed with the British Crown in 1726. The territories did not deal with the surrender of lands and resources, but in fact recognized Mi'kmaq and Willis-DeWig title and established the rule for what was going to be an ongoing relationship between nations. At Coach New Brunswick, we pay respect to the elders, past and present, and we are grateful that we now get to share this space with the descendants of this land. We honor the knowledge keepers and seek their guidance as we strive to develop closer relationships through sport, education, community, understanding, truth, and reconciliation. Thank you for listening in the same spirit. Welcome to the Coaches Plan Podcast, a podcast where we work with New Brunswick's great thought leaders in sport to help you plan your perfect season. I'm your host, Ashley Milani, and today we are bringing you a new podcast to your feed. As you may remember from a few episodes ago, we are ending this version of the Coaches Plan Podcast at the end of this season. Before I go, however, I wanted to put you onto a similar podcast made by my colleague and our close friend of the show, David Thibodeau, who you may remember from last week's episode on Coaching for Social Impact. David started the Sports for Social Impact podcast to explore sport policy in more in-depth ways and to provide an insightful analysis to those who are working in the sport industry. The aim of this is to explore different areas in which sport policy can have a social impact and create lasting positive change in the community and address the challenges that stand in the way of change. He has related sport to topics like homelessness, pollution, activism, the economy, and so much more, and we absolutely love his work. Today, we're bringing you an episode from his podcast on grassroots sport diplomacy, which is an incredible conversation about the concept of designing grassroots sport to have an impact on the societal and individual development of health, culture, education, and more. You can find the Sport for Social Impact podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to the Sports for Social Impact podcast the podcast that explores all the ways that sport can put purpose at the center of what they do to have the maximum impact. Sport diplomacy is a way for nations to strengthen diplomatic, social, and political relations with other countries. The concept of sport diplomacy recognizes the role that sport can play in helping achieve its various objectives at an international level. Sport diplomacy, through stimulating more dialogue and cooperation, can strengthen already positive ties between countries, as well as seek to improve more challenging relationships between countries. In this episode, we talk about leveraging sport as a way of connecting people on a grassroots level, citizen to citizen. The term grassroots sport diplomacy was coined by the International Sport and Cultural Association. So we speak to Morgan Skirkby, the president of the ISCA, about what it is all about, the challenges for implementation, and how governments can turn it into government policy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sports and Social Impact podcast. My name is David Thibodeau, the host. With me today, we have the president of the International Sport and Culture Association, Moggins Kirkby. Um, Moggins, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Could you tell us a bit about yourself to start off? Thank you very much, David. And uh... I'm happy to be here. I am the president of the International Sport and Culture Association. It's an umbrella organization for almost 300 organizations operating in the field of what we call grassroots sport and recreational physical activity. The members of ISCA are 
a round, uh, small, big, mid-size national organization or regional organization, and all with a primary focus on uh, sport participation, grassroots sport. I have an education in sports policy and public administration, and I've been president for ISCA for more than 10 years. And uh, in that capacity, also try to promote the general tone of grassroots sport as an important part of the sports sectors. I've also tried to promote the grassroots sport organizations because they are in most countries, the last one to re receive attention. Uh, that goes for media, political and financial attention. So all in all, we are here to promote uh, grassroots sport and recreational physical activity organizations, primarily our members. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. I, I, I definitely think that grassroots sports definitely get a lot less attention um, you know, on, on, from all parts of society, media, politics, funding, just as you say. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about uh, the ISCA or, or ISCA, as you, I think, as you called it? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, around 25 years old and was founded by 20 uh, different organizations, uh, primarily European-based organizations, but also organizations from other continents. And, and the founders felt that there was a need for another network, a platform for those working with sport participation, or at that time actually it was called Sport for All in many countries. The reason to establish ISCA was to give these organizations international network where we, so to say, can beside promote this part of the sports sector, but also find friends and uh, share knowledge and inspiration with each other uh, because this is not something you can go to the shop and buy. Uh, you need to connect to organizations and, and many sport for all organizations, they preferred to have partners in other countries more than to hook up with, let's say, a similar organization in their own countries because they, they might have some history. Uh, being competitors at some point. So the idea was to create a place where you could get uh, international inspiration and knowledge and use that for national promotion and development. Awesome. So I, yeah, I think that sort of network is, is a really great idea. And um, the work that you do from what I, can, from what I see online um, it's, you know, it's super awesome and super interesting work that you're doing. And so, I, you know, specifically today, we're talking about one specific sort of, um, you know, idea or concept or, or project that, that I, from my understanding, the ISCA or ISCA uh, sort of came up with, or I guess put a name on it, right? It's, you know, it's, it's existed for a long time, but, um, you know, you really put a name on it and, and trying to conceptualize it more. Um, so, you know, to sort of give a, an intro to do it, um, you know, everybody's heard of a sport diplomacy and, you know, this idea that, um, you know, uh, it's, a, it's sort of a soft power for foreign policy, um, helping build uh, a stronger ties between nations. So ISCA came up, uh, you know, with the grassroots sport diplomacy. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about, you know, about, about what that is and what that, what that, uh, what that entails? 
Yes, uh, actually, uh, maybe a, a little bit about the background and why we, we came up with this term, because it was, of course, as you said, uh, there are many years of history of sport diplomacy, maybe 50 years or more. And uh, in 2016, there was, in the European context, a little bit more focus on sport diplomacy. And there was a so-called high-level group to publish a report on sport diplomacy and, and when we hear and see such a report uh, we felt uh, that there was uh, something missing uh, so we were aware of that grassroots sport diplomacy as we later named it was existing there are cultural exchanges with people organization private public relations has been going on for, for decades. And, and therefore, what we did was when there was this extra focus on sport diplomacy was simply to introduce the term grassroots sport diplomacy. Uh, as you said, uh, we were not inventing the activities or the practice because it was clear for us that this was existing. It was being done uh, many places uh, every day and maybe with, with less uh, focus on what was the name of the game. But uh, therefore, we created or invented this term, grassroots sport diplomacy, to give it a name, to give it a, a definition or a term to be used, and again, to, to raise the, the profile of, of this sector as an equal sector to what we call elite sport. The con concept of grassroots sport diplomacy is uh, whatever goes of the cultural exchange and knowledge transfer at the grassroots sport uh, sector level. And that can, of course, be national, it can be local, it can also be international, cross-border, cross-culture. But it has the same idea uh, as uh, sport diplomacy in general. It's about using sports people or sport organization or the activity to, to carry some cultural values, some traditions, some opinions, you may say, into another culture and, and let these culture meet and create maybe a dialogue, maybe a promotion of one culture towards the other. So it's simply just different people, different activities, but the concept is more or less the same as sport diplomacy. Mm -hmm. Love that, and I love that idea. You know, it's it's more, um, you know, just daily citizens just acting in you know strengthening ties between people between communities, um, and you know, in in the larger sense, you know, strengthening the ties that also kind of feed into the sport diplomacy of, of international or of of the international field. Um, you know, strengthening ties between just daily citizens um, does help that strengthen ties between countries as well. Um, so could you give us an example of, you know, of a grassroots sport diplomacy, you know, project or um, is, there, is there a specific thing, uh, event that's happening every year that, that you're part of that, uh, that, you could, that you could talk about? Yeah, I think it's maybe start a little bit uh, further uh, back and say uh, many countries would like to, to brand themselves. And uh, we don't question when, when countries are branding themselves as a tourist country. 
when when a country is branding itself as come and see our culture, food, whatever we have, or buildings, we, we don't question that. And, and that is always, or in many cases, a branding towards entities that are helping tourism or the end, you can say, consumer, the citizens of other countries. And it's a little bit the same with grassroots sport diplomacy that, that anybody can be the transmitter of, of this diplomacy. And it can be a child, it can be the trainer, it can be the organizational setup uh, that is, uh, so to say, showing culture, uh, values, philosophy of sport uh, from one region to another culture, another region, another country. And uh, there are quite a, a few of these things happening, most of it under the radar, I would say, because it can be small cross-border exchanges, but, but with some uh, bigger impact and stories behind. And, and for many years, there has been a, a youth development or youth exchange between the French and the German border. And this is something established after the Second World War and said, okay, we need a better understanding of each other. Uh, so we will try to, to learn the young people that uh, French and German cultures and traditions and true sport um, is something to like and not to be afraid of. And this has existed for many years. Mm -hmm. uh, we, I also come from a country uh, called Denmark and the uh, big sport for all organization in Denmark has a, what they call a national Danish performance team. And this uh, team is uh, 14 girls and 14 boys that are doing performance gymnastic, uh, you could say at a rather high level. But the main idea of this team is to, to make a tour across the world, typically 10, 12 countries for 10 months. And then they do performances, but more importantly, they do uh, workshops with schools, uh, teachers uh, at local uh, settings. Uh, and right now, uh, the tour or the team for 2022, uh, 21 and 22 is uh, traveling. And the, the last stop they had was uh, Buenos Aires in Argentina where they, so to say, were in a not very uh, rich area of uh, Buenos Aires and, and where they interact with the children, but also uh, interact with the local government and, and, and national government. So it, it's just showing that normal people, these are normal gymnasts, very young, that they are by showing what they can do, but also inviting people to join an activity can, of course, uh, transfer some cultural values and understanding uh, between the citizens of, in this case, Buenos Aires, Buenos Aires but as well also uh, attract some attention on uh, special needs or special solutions for, for citizens if you use sport as a uh, media. So 
this is another case. And I would also say that something that is driven by uh, ISCA is what we call uh, move week, as a week of movement. This is a, an invention that started in 2015 in Europe, but it has then been taken up by our Latin American partners and they have translated it into Portuguese and Spanish and it's called Movela Semana. And, and this is simply uh, connecting people uh, with local activity, but connecting many events across the, the world in a way that you, with your local events, are doing local activities, but then you're part of a bigger movement, a bigger campaign uh, to move and to promote sport and physical activity. And, and these activities, these, these, are, these are very important that they have, you can say, a local feature, because any grassroots sport and recreational physical activity is, is local. It's, it's been done local, that's where we do it. But it is nice to see that uh, there are many uh, locals doing this local activity across the continent and the world, more or less simultaneously. And, and that, so to say, creates an understanding that we are different, but we do it uh, differently. And maybe there are more colors and more uh, different music when it's in Latin America than when it's in, in Europe. But it gives a sense of uh, we are using the same uh, activity to create a good spirit and not least an understanding of diversity and that diversity is a strength and not something that is always creating problems. So such case is uh, or such an event, the campaign as Move Week, I would also interpret that as a sport diplomacy action if there is an awareness that this is not happening only for me in my local environment, but I'm part of something bigger. That's amazing. I, yeah, I, I think this really highlights, you know, you know, really does highlight the power of sport and how it, and you know, how you're using that power to bring people together to, you know, to, to create connections around the world, to share common values, to share, um, you know, to, to share culture, um, to, to share all these different things using sport through sport. Um, and it's, it's really powerful. And I think it's, you know, super, super cool that you're using it in this way. So I wanted to pick up on something that you were saying that, you know, a lot of it flies under the radar. A lot of these things are smaller actions that, you know, governments don't necessarily pick up on. So how do we, how do governments, how can they turn grassroots sport policy or grassroots sport diplomacy into policy? Like what are there concrete actions that governments need to take? Um, how can, how can they, you know, operationalize this? I would say that uh, some governments have, have already seen that opportunity. Uh, and, and some governments uh, have not seen it yet. And there's also a pressure uh, on other governments uh, not to see it. So to be very frank here, uh, ISCA is from grassroots sports uh, sector. And uh, we are actually uh, in the political uh, game where uh, other parts of sport, especially the sport federation structure, has a feeling that 
the spot model look very different that, than the model that, so to say, consists also of grassroots sport. Uh, in the European context, uh, over the last uh, couple of years, the, the European or the Council of Europe has has uh, redeveloped or um, made a new version of the so-called European Sport Charter, and this was quite interesting, but also a battle on on somebody, especially the sport uh, federations, who, who who believe that. Sport is uh, consisting of a pyramid where everything is connected and the elite promote the grassroots and the money flows from elite to, to grassroots. We, we see it very differently because we don't see this uh, happen in reality. Uh, but you, you may understand that if strong organizations like the IOC and Sport Federation promote this structure, very strongly towards governments, uh, then some governments wouldn't see all the opportunities of the grassroots sports sector. One government which uh, actually does that, that is uh, uh, US uh, State Department. Uh, they have a very wide perspective of uh, uh, grassroots sport. Uh, diplomacy, sport diplomacy in general. So they actually would see uh, sport diplomacy as also local uh, development projects in deprived neighborhoods uh, from that uh, part of activities all the way to international uh, nation uh, branding at uh, elite sport level. So Governments see this very differently. And I think the primary source of trying to utilize it is a little bit uh, rooted in how is sport organized in the different countries. If you have a strong uh, civil society, which traditionally would be the organizer or the governing uh, structure of a grassroots sport, then there would typically be an arm length between the public sector and this civil society sector. And in some countries, you would also encourage, uh, support the grassroots sports sector to have international relations and thereby clearly, thereby clearly promote the values which are the common values in, in your country. Other countries do not have a strong civil society or might still see the sports sector as a pyramid and, and they are maybe more reluctant in, in seeing both elite and grassroots to be, so to say, uh, diplomats in, in track shoots. Uh, and I think there, are, there will be in the future uh, more countries who see the benefit of having their country and their values, their traditions, their perspective is, uh, promoted by not only officials, uh, state officials, but also by uh, individuals, civil society groups of people. It could be from the cultural sector, but also from the grassroots sports sector. So I think we, are, we will see uh, stronger grassroots sport diplomacy. We will see more uh, 
state level assisting or collaborating between civil society and, and public sector in a promotion of values of traditions and even in uh, country branding. Yeah, I certainly hope that governments you know, see the value of using sport um, as, as a tool for diplomacy and especially grassroots diplomacy. Um, I think it's a low cost tool. Um, you know, it, it's not you know, nearly as expensive as some of the other <laughs> uh, policy objectives that governments have. Um, and, you know, it's much more easy for, for citizens connect, to connect through sport like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, and I certainly also hope that governments see the value, start seeing the value more and, and start implementing it more as well. It's um, also about, uh, sorry, it's also yeah. about uh, government uh, having the trust and uh, rely on civil society, uh, not be afraid of losing control and letting civil society and citizens actually represent the, their country and their local tradition. And I think most uh, governments should uh, take this advantage. And of course, there are many ways that citizen in country A could uh, represent uh, the country and the values, and you might not like them all, but uh, most people and most people in the grassroots sports sector, they, they don't see that as a primary task. So, so they would be, be, I think, be very easy on promoting what is real uh, values, real traditions, real, real uh, yeah. Yeah activities yeah. from that country for sure and i think that you know that might be a uh you know a challenge to grassroots sport diplomacy i think a lot of states and governments may have difficulty letting sort of letting go and letting you know citizens represent them or like you know local grassroots citizens rep represent them um do, do you think that there are any other challenges to grassroots sport diplomacy yeah i i think it, you would say that it happens this, what we can call people-to-people -people exchanges. And for some, it is a, a, an exchange uh, and, and many wouldn't see themselves as uh, in the diplomacy business. So it's also, uh, you can say, a widening of the, the term and the concept of diplomacy. But I think it's an advantage for, for civil society to have this label and this uh, uh, term uh, which, which make or give a framework for another storytelling of what a grassroots sport, diploma, uh, grassroots sport organization can do. Because as I mentioned, many grassroots sport organizations are having less political, financial and also media attention and, and if you want to grow this attention, you need to be able to sell your story uh, again and again, and maybe in different ways. And, and doing it, if you operate internationally or you have international exchanges or exchanges between cultures, and then you have a chance to promote your activities with another, maybe a little bit more flashy term like uh, sport diplomacy. And, and that can maybe bring some attention to the sector, but for most uh, say operator organizations, this people-to-people -people exchange is what it is. It's uh, an experience for the people which participate. Maybe it's also uh, information and, and sharing uh, 
experience to your uh, organization, your club, and, and few see themselves as a sport diplomat. But their roof organizations or their national organization uh, would definitely uh, understand this concept and maybe also actively uh, utilize it. Yeah, for sure. I, I yeah, I think it's I think it's a super interesting and. I want to thank you for you know joining me today, talking to me today about all this. I think um, you know grassroots sport diplomacy is a really interesting concept and really an interesting tool that you know not just governments can use. You know anybody can use, anybody in their local community can use um, to help build bridges between you know between just you know your neighborhood. Um, I think it's really interesting and I think it's a great tool. Um, and I wanted to give you the chance to you know to ask you if um, you know if there's anything else that you want to share. With anybody listening, yeah, I think what we are speaking about is uh, uh, democratization of diplomacy, and that can sound uh, contradictory, but I, I don't, I don't think it is. And uh, some are afraid of of doing this, but uh, let's face reality: it's it's going to happen, and uh, I think we should promote it. I love that term, uh, democratization of diplomacy. I think that's really great. Well, thank you so much, Moggins, for joining me today. I'm sorry for mispronouncing your name. Um, I think, yeah, again, thank you so much. It was a really great conversation. Thank you very much.